still got to preach. <laughs> Open up your Bibles to Luke 15. I originally uh, was in despair that I didn't get to finish chapter 15 of Luke uh, last week. As, as uh, I know we have some visitors. We tend to go through the Lord's ministry. We're trying to go chronologically through the Lord's ministry on Sunday afternoons. I know Caldwell's starting to listen to some of the older ones. Uh, and I owe you about 30 in between that I'm getting ready to start recording so that uh, it's all on here. But um, this study has been such a blessing. And I, I was really distressed that I didn't get to finish Luke 15 because uh, if you're familiar with Luke 15 and you weren't here last Sunday, this is the chapter that follows the Lord's great teaching on discipleship. And the parable that we left on was uh, off on was the one that's commonly known as the prodigal son. And we had talked about how it's... From the, the Hebrew perspective, they call this story the seeking father. And we talked about some of the symbolisms and the reason for that. And it really, it, it, it widens our understanding of why the Lord is telling this parable to them. And, and really, uh, why, he, why this has come up at all. And I really wanted to finish the chapter because we didn't get to talk about the older brother last week. But then, after finishing preaching this morning, I realized why the Lord might have done this. As we're talking about Thanksgiving, it is the older brother who is the greatest example of the gratitude in which we should have. And I understand the typology is typically, well, that older brother is, you know, the nation of Israel and all these things. But bear with me. I do have to go back over a few things that we left off on last Sunday. In looking at this, instead of at the prodigal son and considering it as the seeking father, we see that the father took all of the shame upon himself for his son's return. And we talked about how the Lord wasn't teaching repentance specifically in these parables. He was teaching about the seeking and the finding throughout this entire chapter. And it is through his seeking and his reclamation of, of the elect that we see repentance come forward because as the light is shined down or shined on, it reveals things that must be repented of or removed from the equation. And that's what repentance means. It's not a simple confession. It is an about face. It is a turning away from the things that you were once involved with and never returning, or at least the hope or the intention or the prayer or the proclamation of I'm turning away from it and never returning. But some of the things that we saw that the father as the seeking father did was that he ran to his son. Hebrews didn't normally run. It was shameful, but the father did it so that the son would not take the shame upon himself. Something else that took place is that because of this being his father's kingdom, his taking the inheritance and leaving was not necessarily shameful. It wasn't respectful. It was certainly not something he should have done. But in doing so, he was forfeiting his citizenship to his father's kingdom. So therefore, his coming back would have commonly been met with other servants and people of the kingdom coming with uh, clay pots and breaking them at his feet and a sign of shame. Maybe it even would have hissed at him, uh, not quite like what we see in, uh, 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 when we think of Jewish history, when they tell the, the Feast of Purim, when they start talking about uh, Mordecai and Haman, and whenever the word Haman, the name Haman is mentioned even to this day, the, the feast is supposed to have them hiss and boo when his name is mentioned. It wouldn't have maybe necessarily been that shameful, but it definitely would have been shameful to have these pots thrown at his feet because he's coming back, and, and it's the expectation that he might be bringing further shame on his father. But the father ran to meet him, taking that shame upon himself, and also met him before any of that could take place, taking that shame upon himself. And then when we left off, we see that the father had prepared a few things for him. 
a robe, which is representative of righteousness, which was to be placed on him. He wasn't to put it on himself. It was to be put on him. A signet ring, which represented royalty, which according to the text was to be put on him. He wasn't putting it on himself. Shoes, which signify a restoration or a new walk or being put back into place of, uh, of the heritage he was supposed to have had the entire time. These were also to be placed on him. The fatted calf, which was a picture of the reparation, Upon its death, there was dining and there was merriment. Now, the significance of dining to the Jewish heritage is probably not as significant as it is to us as Americans, but that merriment part, we know what that is. And it's hard to have merriment. And in the Hebrew uh, heritage, it would be hard to dine with other people that you did still have some resentment toward. But here we see a fatted calf is killed and all of the servants, all of the kingdom come together for this feast to the point which brings us to the text we're about to look at, verses 25 through 32. The son, the older son, the one who had never left, hears it. Now join me now in Luke 15, and we'll read verses 25 through 32. Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked, what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. Some things to notice here. The servant that he talks to is, is referring to the, the prodigal, if you will, as his brother. You'll notice in a minute that older brother does not refer to him as his own brother. He also, honing into the traditions, thought to himself that his younger brother had taken his citizenship with him that he was not still part of the same kingdom. But the servant says, your brother has come. So the servant recognizes the son has returned. He is restored in the kingdom. He is once again seen as the, uh, as the honored father's child. And the fatted calf, it's referred to as the fatted calf, and it's not italicized. So this isn't in there for translation. It says the fatted calf, which means almost like everyone knew the calf. The calf that we've been fattening, the calf that we've been preparing, the, the feast that we have been looking to is here. Verse 28, and he was angry, this older son, and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. Again, we see the father seeking his son. We see the father taking shame on himself. It would have been shameful for the host of the party to depart, just like it would be to, now, uh, to see that now. He departs the party seeking his son. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid. And he's not talking about a child, he's talking about a fatted calf, or some, some meal of, of what we see described here that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this, thy son was come. This is where he refers to him as almost like a stranger. Your son is here, not my brother. Your son is here. As soon as this, thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad for thy... For this, thy brother was dead. Uh, there's a few short verses, but it's loaded with context. The very end of verse 29, you understand the older brother is, is speaking in bitterness, of course. But look at what he was wanting to do had his father given him a kid. Make merry, merry with my friends. 
This prodigal was not returning to his friends. He was returning to his father's kingdom. He was returning to the only family he had. He was returning in shame. I do not even deserve to be a servant in thy father's house. Those were the words that he had prepared himself to come back with. And the older son, in his confession here, and if you have kids, this does happen sometimes, right? When envy and bitterness start to rile up, suddenly confession comes vomiting out really quickly. And that's what this older son is doing. He wanted to make merry with his friends. He doesn't say, with you, Dad. I wanted to make merry with you. He says, my friends. There's a lot in verse 30 that's very similar to what the younger brother did up front a few years before this when he took everything that he had and departed, or, or his inheritance uh, and departed. And as we go through this, we also see that the father not only takes the shame of the older son upon himself and leaves the party, but at the end, he restores his younger son to his proper relationship with his older brother. Everything that takes place for that younger sibling through all of this is a restoration, bringing him back to the place that he needed to be. So to understand more plainly what's happening here with the elder son, we must first understand that the Jewish teaching concerning repentance was quite different than that of Jesus. Alfred Edersham, who wrote The Life and Times of Jesus, and it's the biggest book in there if you ever want to go read it, he wrote the following. Theirs was not a gospel to the lost. They had nothing to say to sinners. They called upon them to do penitence. And then divine mercy, or rather justice, would have its reward for the penitent. Christ's gospel was to the lost as such. It told them of forgiveness of what the Savior was doing, and the Father purposed and felt for them, and that not in the future, and that not in the future and as rewarded for penitence, but now the immediate, in the immediate present. Is there any wonder so many Pharisees are murmuring at the Lord in this chapter? What he is telling folks is the exact opposite of what the Jews had been instructing. You were sinful, you must pay, and justice will be your mercy. Sounds a little bit like America. It unfortunately also sounds like a lot of mean, loud Christians. That is not who we are. And that is not what we do. We do not demand of the loss of this world. We are to have mercy on them. We are to show them kindness. We are to show them forgiveness. We are to show them rejoicing. What does it say in Romans that we are to do of our enemy if he hungers? Laugh at him? Tell him you should have saved? You should have planned for this day? No, it says feed him. One of the brethren said today the scripture is very simple. I think it was Brother Thorne. And it is. This is what we're called to do. If our enemies thirst, give them drink. Well, give, give, give. That's all we do. What does the father do? You know, the father could have let the servants deal with that prodigal. And the prodigal would have probably roamed away and starved to death. There was a grievous famine in the land. The father has a way of leaving us nowhere else to go. And the son comes prepared to fall on the mercy of his father. And his father comes and runs and takes all the shame upon himself. We are to be like the Father. We call ourselves Christian because we are calling ourselves Christ-like. So when the eldest hears of his brother's return, the text tells us in verse 28 that he was angry and he would not go in. 
He would likely have had the traditional Jewish mindset that we talked about before, that his citizenship, the citizenship of his brother was gone. This was not a family member nor a member of the kingdom any longer. And he essentially had casted himself out when he took his inheritance and left. Perhaps he would have known his father's heart and understood that for his brother to be back in the house and for all to be married, that maybe this older brother knows exactly what his father did to make that possible. He had always been with his father. He likely had some familiarity with his father's heart, his father's longing. But because he refused to come in, the father came out. Will we ever know the limit to God's mercy toward his elect? In my mind, I'd think, uh uh-oh, the oldest is about to get a beating. If, If I had behaved like this as a child and then suddenly heard the words, my father's on his way out, you would then read the words, and Joe was on his way out too, further, running fast. There'd be a cartoon cloud shaped like this pastor as he ran the other way. But this word entreated that we see here in the text, it's translated elsewhere as comforted. Can you imagine that? Verse 28, And he was angry and would not go in, therefore his father came out and comforted him. Exhorted him. Or in plain American text, his daddy came out and loved on him. You ever try to love on a, a stubborn, stubborn older teenager or an adult son? I don't have any adult children yet, but I imagine it's, it's just as difficult to, to settle a teen or a nine-year-old as it, as it would be an adult and just love on them. That's what the dad does here. He comes out and he entreats or comforts or exhorts. And, and you can see the education that he gives him when he restores the younger son back into a brother relationship with him when it's over. Luke 15, 9, rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. It's in our text. It's in the same chapter. And his father came out to educate and comfort. You see, most unforgiveness comes from hurt that had been hung on to. We are not meant to hold on to hurt. When we truly die unto self and bear bear the purpose that we've been given, there is no place for anchor weights. Ankle weights you train with. Anchor weights you break down from. Anchor weights will break you. They'll begin to be so restraining that your very joints, the soft tissue between bone gives out. You know what that soft tissue is? Love. When we read Paul talking about the church being like a body, we should also read in there that the soft tissue, like if, if my, my knee, for example, if it were just bone on bone, can you imagine what that would sound like? Like nails on a chalkboard. But there's soft tissue in there that gives cushion when all this weight goes from one leg to the other. That soft tissue is love. Because we do have hard doctrine we're called to live by, we have to also have love. If I came down on every single person I've ever met that practices Christmas just because I don't, I come down on them hard like an anchor. Well, I've broken my relationship with that person. I'll never get to tell them anything else about the gospel except that one hard moment. And beloved, it's the same thing for head coverings, same thing for modest dress, same thing for the Lord's Supper, same thing for baptism. 
We're not called to humiliate. We're not called to hang on to hurt. And we're not called to cause more hurt. Any Baptists in here know of angry Baptists? Any Baptists in here know of angry Baptists who have been angry for years? Yep. And I grew up Catholic, so if I ask that question, a couple more hands would probably come up too. There's angry Catholics too. And there's these grudges, right? These things that we hang on to because, uh, for example, my grandmother on my mom's side, uh, when she was a little girl, probably Livy's age, her <laughs> Catholic church was right across the street from a Baptist church, and those little Baptist girls were mean. So for 90 years, every Baptist was mean. I mean and, and that's why she was hurt when I became Baptist, because that's what Baptists were, those two little girls. We lock things into our mind as reference, and Jesus says we're going to do things differently. Because you're following the flesh when you're holding those grudges. You're following the flesh when you put people out and you push people away. You're following the flesh when you're getting angry and giving place to wrath. And you should be following me in love. Has anyone ever told you it's okay to forgive? Because this is what daddy came out to tell the eldest that night. It's okay to forgive your brother. It's okay to forgive someone who's hurt you. God knows all about it. It's okay. It's all right to forgive. Beloved, you may have to tell me this again one day. It's not a lesson we're going to just lock in on, but it is the lesson Christ taught. It's okay. And a hurt that you've held on to the longest that you finally let go of, you're going to cry. You're going to break down. Because it, it's... You ever study... I know this is re- revealing of me, but you ever study tumors? I, I'm fascinated by some tumors that have been, uh, have been in people's bodies for years and they didn't know it. It filled empty cavities in their skull, their face, their, their limbs, wherever it might be. And you would think you would know something like that existed, but they don't. That's anger, resentment, and unforgiveness, is it not? It fills all those empty cavities that we haven't filled with the Word of God or we haven't filled with love, and now it's too full with resentment to be filled. You have to let those things go. You have to be emptied. What if the story read like this? In verse 28, the eldest son was angry and would not go in. Therefore, the father came out and said, Get out! You don't understand what I did for your brother? Get out! Don't wait till the feast ends. Don't take your inheritance with you. Beat it! Did the father not have the ability to do that? It was his kingdom. Did the father not have the power to do such a thing? And yet he left the party and entreated, exhorted, and comforted the eldest son and said, it's okay to forgive. The eldest son reveals a mindset that he had in which he was living faithfully to his father in a sense. He put in the work to get paid and no one who doesn't should. This is what he reveals. I've done all these things. I've been here for this whole thing. I've done everything the kingdom and my father has needed of me and he has not. Do you remember the the parable in which the Lord describes those who are called in to work at different times of day and how they all received equal payment and how those that have been laboring all day long 
we're not so happy that those that just showed up got the same pay. Of course we do. We all love that one. It's very similar to this, is it not? And literally the employer says, it's my money. It was my work. And did you not think the payment was just when you agreed to come in and do it? I get to decide. And it's okay to forgive. I wonder how many times forgiveness is laced in the parables of the Lord Jesus. Well, this caused him to make dangerous and wicked assumptions about how his brother had spent his inheritance. If you pay attention to his words there, he, again, Twitter's not a thing. I need to say that in this time. So he didn't know how his brother spent that inheritance, but he takes some wild guesses here as to how that happened. His father revealed to the eldest son that relationships matter. He's not just my son. He's your brother. He said that the, this eldest son was always with him and had access to all that was his father's. It kind of speaks to the character of the eldest that maybe he had kind of taken for granted the access that he had to the throne, the access that he had to who his father was and what the kingdom had. This is an understanding his brother has because his brother was away from it. But he had never been away from it. When the youngest son left, he only had access to a limited portion and it was soon spent up. But, and it was revealed to him that he required a continual connection with his father. He required some kind of sustainment to be what his father and his relationship with him required of him. The eldest son was there the whole time, had it the whole time, and didn't know what he had. Beloved, I don't know how long everyone in this room has been a Christian, but do you recognize the value? We've talked before about considering the cost. It was in the previous chapter, the cost of discipleship. Let's consider it again. Let's consider the cost of what the Father gave up in this parable, the shame that he took upon himself. Let's consider the value rather than cost, though, the value of what was still available to that young son. He knows that value. He knows that value way better than the oldest. He came back expecting to maybe be a servant, but just to be back in his father's kingdom. But he bore a robe, ring, shoes, the fatted calf is slaughtered. He could have never expected all that. Exceedingly, and above all that he ever expected. The father tells his eldest that it wasn't the access to his father's things that should have been the most important thing. <clears throat> what good is being that close to wealth and riches and to daddy if you have no joy? He should have had the ability to be married, to be glad. There was the opportunity to recognize the value of life and the preciousness of finding what was once lost. This entire chapter up to this parable was discussing that in great detail. The woman who lost a coin that would have been in her, her marital band, and the shame that would have come from trying to put that on without that missing coin, that drachm. But the joy and rejoicing that she had after she swept the whole house. Men, remember that lesson from last week. And she found it. The joy of the shepherd who finds the one sheep that was lost. 
I want you to think about that parable again and think about how many ways a sheep can get killed. Again, interesting Google search history. Please don't check my computer. But if you think about all the dangers for a sheep, there's worse things than wolves. Diseases, infections, just falling into a trench, nobody to get you out and you just die there. What an awful way to perish. We talked about that a little bit last time. But the joy of that shepherd when he finds the one, and it's more than just his joy, he announces it to everyone. All of heaven rejoices over the one that had been found. And this brother who was closest to his father rejoiced not. He was angry. He would not go in. Son, it's okay to forgive. You're missing out on joy. Joy unspeakable. You're missing out on a rejoicing with me, the one that you just said you've been with always. You're not with me right now. At the happiest moment, one of the happiest moments, no doubt, in the Father's life, you should be there with us. The only reason that oldest son was missing it was not because he wasn't invited. It's because he was angry and he would not go in. I know you've all heard me talk about the dangers of unforgiveness, and we've seen a taste of it recently, but it's real. The only thing that kept this son at bay was himself, his anger and the fact that he would not go in. Earlier in this same chapter, Luke 15, verse 7, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. There was an opportunity to recognize the value of life and the kingdom was rejoicing, just like Jesus had illustrated in those previous parables, but not this man that had anger and resentment. The father restores the younger son's place in the elder's brother's heart. He says, this is thy brother there in verse 32. He restores him to his place in the family as we saw last time. He restored him to his place in the kingdom. There's a whole lot of restoring going on, isn't there? The Father doesn't say that you've lost now all these things, but instead, one by one, restores all those things and takes the shame upon himself. Even with the brother, the son is back. Both sons here forsook the blessings of the Father. One stayed for the access but missed the value. The other thought he could carry away that value into whatever lifestyle he pleased. Matthew 16, verse 24, If any man will come after me, this speaks back to the previous chapter. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. That little part of you that's angry, that doesn't want to go in, deny it. Mortify it. Put it to death. Any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. This older son denies his brother, denies his father, refuses his cross. He refuses his position in the kingdom and this family and does not follow. That one little verse, verse 28, is the most dangerous verse in this whole chapter. And it's... I mean, if you ever think about rat poisoning, Steve Kaiser used to point this out in the Sunday school classes at Berea. There's only like 1% of rat poisoning that's actually deadly. It's enough. But only 1% of the ingredients in rat poisoning is deadly. One verse out of 32... And had we not had the father come back out to him and entreat and comfort and, and exhort unto him, he'd have been outside and perished. How important is forgiveness? 
It's so important. Resentment should not have any place in our hearts. There's not... I, I think about this often. Because in the ministry, you're tempted to hold grudges, believe it or not, on a regular basis. And to consider the fact that one day we'll all stand before the throne and have to give an answer for things. And we will be more than compelled to be extremely honest. We won't have the ability to lie in that moment. I could not imagine explaining to the Heavenly Father how I felt justified to have resentment toward another man of God or another Christian or a neighbor or even the guy that cuts me off in traffic. Can you imagine? I don't know what it'll be like, but what if it's some projector screen, let's just say, something we can relate to. And the Father shows in this, this moment in the traffic when you got pulled off and you chased the guy down, real event, and you got right behind him so that he knew that you noticed he cut you off. He knew. And the Father says, explain that. You can't lie. Forgiveness is hard. But it's okay to forgive. It's hard. It's hard, but... If you're here and saved, you were called for a purpose and you were created to endure hard things. If learning how to forgive somebody is the hardest thing you ever go through, you still got off pretty easy. Beloved, this Thanksgiving season, give, have another reason to be thankful. Call somebody today that you have been unforgiven, unforgiving of. Call someone today that you're just absolutely certain you can't give in to. I, let me close with a story. And I may have told it before, and, and you all have to forgive me if I did. I, I know uh, my in-laws were there. They lived some of it. We had a preacher, a pastor before me in temperance. And toward the end, it, it was not a great relationship. And I had two weeks in which I was going to West Virginia to preach in lieu of a call for a couple of the churches. And we were going on vacation during that time. And he announced that that service before we left, that he was uh, stepping down. He literally told the church it wasn't him, it was them. Uh, and then from what I heard, he proceeded to preach against some pretty sound beliefs that folks had in the church for the next two weeks until I got back. Uh, he's a bit of a bully, a bit of an angry guy. And for me, he was my pastor. And he left, and the church looked to me, and there were things we didn't necessarily agree with, but they wanted to call me as pastor, and they did. And then when the Lord called me to Berea three years later, uh, the church had voted to disband. This man showed up at the, the last, I think it was the last service we had in Temperance. I hadn't seen him in three years. Now, when he left, the basement had been flooded. We were trying to uh, rebuild the basement. He left. Uh, my wife's grandfather, who had been the Sunday school teacher for years, one of my mentors, well, my mentor, we'll just say my mentor. He had passed a few months before that. You can kind of see how the, the, the exit route came up pretty quick for him after all that went down. He never came back, never called. I surrendered to preach under the man, but he never called me to say, how's it going? I heard they called you. Do you need anything? Still live within an hour of the church. And he shows up right before our afternoon study. And we go through the afternoon study. And the whole time in the flesh, I'm, I missed the whole lesson because I'm thinking, what is he here for? What could he possibly want? And then those dreaded words came right after that afternoon study, right? Can we talk? I'm not a man that likes talking on the phone. You know that, right? And the phrase, can we talk? It locks me in place. I hate that. <laughs> if anybody does that to me today, I'm going to be pretty sure you're referencing this conversation. 
but he says, can we talk? And I gulped loud enough you could hear it on this mic. And we walked upstairs to what was, in my mind, still his office. I never used it. I, we live 40 minutes from the church house. And he's a, I should mention this, he's a giant man. I mean, just a mountain of a man. We go into his office, and he breaks down in tears. And he said, I, I, I want you to forgive me. I did not handle things the way that I should have. I never realized how unforgiving I had been toward him. Never realized how much resentment I had placed in that relationship until this giant, I mean, he's probably eight inches taller than me. Looks like an offensive lineman for the Chiefs, not the Broncos. I mean, anybody could be that. And, uh, and he's just bawling. And all I could do was hug him. The only response I could have when my wife said we were first pregnant was I hugged her. I didn't know how to respond. Same thing here. And I'm no longer thinking about him anymore. I'm thinking about me. I have been resentful to this man for three years. Anytime anything went wrong under my breath to myself at the very least, I blamed him. You left me this mess. You took us here and departed. And here this man drove an hour that afternoon to stand in front of me. Who am I? And ask my forgiveness. Beloved, it isn't always going to happen that way. But ever since that happened, I tell every, every chance I can, I want you to think of the last person you'd expect to see walk through the door of this church. I want you to think of that person coming the next time we get together. Have you forgiven them? Have you truly forgiven them? I'm not even saying have you told them. Have you forgiven them? Don't be angry and refuse to go in. We have precious little time on this planet. We're going to answer for every single time we've chosen to not forgive someone. It could be a motivational moment in your life that changes the very trajectory that you're on if we could just learn to forgive today. May the Lord help us to do so. Let's close in the word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to preach and teach your word. We're thankful, Father, once again for the patience of your people, for their faithfulness in coming and being fed here today, Father. We're thankful for the the men and the ladies who have prepared the food and helped to make all these things possible these last few days. And we pray, Father, that you would give us, an, uh, as they like to say, an attitude of gratitude, that our minds and hearts would be set right this week, Lord, that we would consider all the things that you've done for us. And there have been a multitude. Your goodness is not conditionally dependent on our happiness, Father. And we're so thankful that you think of us in, in the manner that you have since the foundation of the world the things that you've set in motion and the guidance and the love and the mercy. And Father, just the, the general spirit of being together with your people, Father, we're thankful for being aware of that sensation, for the ability to be loved, for the ability to forgive, for the ability to give this gospel, Father. We pray that we be mindful, as, as Isaac likes to remind us, Father, we be mindful that we might be the only Bible other people will see, that we be mindful of every page that they see of us. We will be tried. You said there shall be persecution. We will have difficult moments. We will fret. We will be distressed. Remind us, Father, it's okay to forgive. It's okay to love. It's okay to be loved. Help us, Father. Help us where we failed you. Help us with the mountains and the challenges ahead. Father, just... Give us grace to bear through it. Give us a mindset that you are ever with us. And we ask for these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.